Let's turn to Titus chapter 1. Hope you guys had a good time last week in prayer and fellowship and food. Tonight we're getting back to the Bible study titled tonight, The Command. Of course, anchored, holding fast, a faithful word. We'll be in Titus 1, verse 5 and 6. But let's read the whole passage here to get the context again, to get us kind of back in the mode. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Of course, the first study was the call. The call of Paul was the call of all Christians, and then your call. Now, verse 4, to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, verse 5 and 6, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And there is the title, Paul's command to Titus, the command. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Next week we'll go further, but just tonight, these first two verses here. And we think about Paul's command for Titus. Now, of course, Paul and Titus had been doing ministry together all over the place. They end up on the island of Crete there, and they begin this work, Paul there with Titus. And so Paul gets called away to Ephesus, they believe. And then from there, he goes to Nicopolis from where he writes this letter and has it sent to Titus in Crete. And of course, it's kind of, to me, it seems like it's a reminder of what Paul had already told Titus to do there in Crete, who of course was to set things in order and, and establish the leadership and everything. But I'm thinking about this. You, you, you get the word that says, I left you in Crete. I, I got a feeling that Titus didn't really want to stay in Crete. I mean, think about it. Who, who wouldn't want to be traveling with the Apostle Paul? And, and just the excitement that must have been, to, at least to go watch and get him beat up somewhere, you know? I mean, that would have been fun enough to just, man, where are we going, Paul? Okay, we're going to watch, you know. They're going to come after you. But you think about it, though, it was interesting. See, Titus may be thinking he would rather be with Paul, but God had a plan for Titus right here. It was commanded for him to stay, but this was Titus's call. Because really, in reality, what will Titus be remembered for throughout eternity, till the Lord comes, of course, is the work that he did there in Crete. And they say he actually died there. He died there. He went and met Paul, but he came back. And, and the Catholics actually have, have made him a saint because of his work there on the island of Crete. But you think about it, probably wasn't the best assignment. Now, this island of Crete, 150 miles long, 35 at the, at the widest part. Paul says, hey, appoint elders in every city. That's a huge job. I and mean, we're talking from here past the Salton Sea, 150 miles. I mean, in 35 miles, I mean, that was a lot of work. But also, remember, this is, an, this is a Greek island out in the middle of the Mediterranean. Imagine what was happening on that island. I remember back in high school days, we used to have what was called the, the Greek festival here at the 
to the uh, Torrance Community Center. And brothers, we went to that Greek festival. And why did we go to that Greek festival? Because those Greek girls, not only were they beautiful, there were some pretty wild ones there. So we were there all the time. You imagine what was going on this island. And the best way for me to describe it was that probably like, you know, like in the Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, these guys were, because, you know, the description that, uh, that Paul gives there in, in verse 12, man, these guys were lazy. They were liars. They were evil beasts, lazy gluttons, drinking, partying, going crazy out there. Um, but also they probably acted like longshoremen too, so. The, the longshoremen that aren't the ones that are here in the room with us tonight. You know what I'm talking about. Crazy bunch. So Titus, though, in staying obedient to Paul's command, God blessed him. God blessed him. So God, so Paul commands Titus, number one, to set things in order. Verse 5, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking. And it means to complete the work that, of course, would have started by Paul and Titus there before he left. And it, the phrase is a medical term applied to the setting of a broken bone or a crooked bone, where they get the word orthodontics and also orthopedics from. So they were to, he was to go back there, and the, the crooked things, the things that were messed up in the congregations there, he was to set in order. So Titus, of course, speak of the issues that were going on. Verse 10, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. See, the prosperity doctrine was already happening, guys. <laughs> so Titus was to correct certain doctrinal errors uh, that were being spread by the Judaizers and mainly that they were to go and continue to follow the Old Testament laws of circumcision and feasts and all that kind of stuff for salvation. But also Titus was to correct and instruct the leaders that were already there and to appoint new leaders, getting rid of the bad ones that were there, based upon the qualifications that Paul lays out for him. So he was to set things in order. Number two, he was, Titus was to appoint elders or bishops, this word that is in our translation, 5b says there, appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Now, Paul wanted Titus to establish of the, the good leadership, and the, the Greek words for elder or bishop are presbyterios and episcopos. Interchangeable, these words are. Elder spoke of the office or the position. Bishop or overseer spoke of the function. So these words basically are interchangeable in Scripture. Presbyterios and episcopos, something like that. And basically, the bishop was really the, the overseer of the church there, and the, the, the uh, elder there was kind of in the same place. So it's just, they're, they're interchangeable. Now, the elder's main function had to do with the oversight of the spiritual. Okay? Speaks of the mature believer, older rather than younger, man who watches over the running of the church. Now, in 1 Timothy, Paul includes the word deacon. Now, of course, you've heard elders, you've heard deacons, those kind of things. These were the guys, though, who tended more to the physical needs of the church, ministering to the widows, making sure that the poor had food and those kind of things. And so we could kind of compare that to maybe the, the um, ushers and greeters here at the church, maybe the guys in security. But in our church, of course, we have pastors and we have leaders or leadership. And that's basically the only words you're going to hear 
in regards to the leadership of the church. You, you know, you don't hear the word, well, he's an elder. Well, he's a deacon. He's, you hear the word pastor. You hear the word leader, leadership. Now, of course, some would be elders. That's the pastors and the ministry leaders of the main ministries that are going on. Some deacons, like I said, security, whatever. None, none bishops. We ain't, we ain't using that word bishop, although we do tease Pastor Josh. We call him, hey, bishop, what's going on, bishop? Did you guys see him teach Sunday night? He's got his own style, that's for sure, brother. I tell you what. But it's sweet stuff, good stuff. But we don't call really any of them by these titles because titles can cause problems. People get that title, and man, they cling to that title like, oh my gosh. I mean, even when you do funerals and such, and, and you talk to the people about the person who passed away, well, yeah, he was a, he was a deacon 45 years ago, or he was whatever, and, and they hold on to those things. But titles can get you in trouble. And, and the pastors, we know those who are involved in leadership, and those in leadership know those who are leaders as well. And so, but most in the church really don't. I mean, there's leaders in this room, even, even the board members, Church board members, you know, nobody really knows who they are. There's actually four in the room right now. There's one who is actually an ex-board member in the room right now. Of course, I know that, being on the board and knowing these guys. But it's, it's a cool thing because bottom line, what? We are all bondservants. That is the title that you can be proud to wear. Remember I told you, but I'd rather have bondservant Rob. Not Pastor Rob, bondservant Rob, because to be a bondservant of Christ, that's the best title that a man could have. Amen? So Paul, he gives now this list of qualifications in verse 6. Just three to start off with. Next week, we'll jump into the rest. But he says here, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. And it's interesting, these qualifications, these really speak of the man at home when you think about this. Because the home has to be set in order, and it all starts at home, guys. As as we're looking at this as a, a leadership training class, so to speak, how is your home life? How is things at home with the family, with the kids, with the wife? And so this, this thing of, of setting the house in order first is due to the great potential for the spiritual warfare that happens when you do step into leadership. Remember when me and Cheryl were, you know, had been asked to pray about coming on staff, and you heard that story. It took a year and a half for it to happen. But one of the, the first things when we started thinking, oh, my gosh, should we really even start praying about this? Well, okay, Lord, what do you want to do? When we started getting counsel, and talking to every single one of the people we talked to says, well, if, if you're going to start going this direction, you better make sure your marriage is solid. And you better make sure your family is in order because you're going to encounter things that you won't encounter by just staying on this side of the pulpit. And so it was the thing that, okay, we did. And we, we went through actually a real cool marriage class. And, and actually, I mean, it was obviously God's ordained plan, but it really... I mean, we didn't know what a Christian marriage was, so to speak. We did. We're, you know, we're saved. We're learning. But it was great because we actually really worked on that, and, and God used it in our lives, of course, because we're still together today by the grace of God. Amen? So, so what is an elder? Well, first off, he is a blameless man. Secondly, he is a one-woman man. 
And thirdly, he's a leading man. Now, of course, this is the challenge, guys. This is where we're going to talk this week and next week, the challenge for all of us. Where do we stand with these qualifications? And we look at these qualifications, and, and you got to ask yourself, how do I measure up with these things? And, of course, guys, right up front, okay, there is no condemnation in this room, okay, because none of us measure up to this standard, really, of when, this, when we even think of the word blameless. Ain't nobody blameless in this room. There's only one who is blameless. But the standard has to be set. The, the, the pole vault crossbar has to be placed somewhere. And right now it's placed out in eternity somewhere because being blameless is, is really, when we think about it, now they're not talking perfect because no man is perfect. But for us to think about this, to look at this and to examine our own hearts and our lives, understanding the grace of God, for it is by grace that we are saved and it's only because of his grace that we're here in the first place any of us being used in any place of ministry, only the grace of God. Amen. 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 So number one, the elder is blameless man. If a man is blameless or above reproach. Now this is the umbrella qualification, guys. Because really it goes, a blameless man is all these things in the next passage, in this passage. A blameless man is all the things listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's a blameless man. Boom, 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 boom. It goes down from there. All the other qualifications underneath. And of course, this word means that there's nothing to take hold upon. There must be nothing in the life of a leader that others can take hold of and attack his life or the church. And it's a broad term for the man who lives a righteous life that can be seen as righteous. So this is where the rubber meets the road, guys, where it gets serious. That no one could stand up and rightly accuse me or you of of some grievous sin. Doesn't speak of sinlessness, though, and there's no such thing. But he is a man who has a good reputation. A good reputation. I just wrote down some things here. He's not seen being drunk in the bar. That that would not be a good thing. Not at all. You you would not appreciate seeing me at, at the crest down there and standing out front, you know, I'm just drinking a 7-Up. You wouldn't appreciate that. He's not seen going in and out of the strip clubs, the gentlemen's clubs that are all around this, (laughs) down the street in the cross. It's crazy. No, he's not seen acting out of order in public or at home. He's not heard by his neighbors screaming and yelling at his kids, kicking the dog and throwing the trash can down the street. He is honest in his business dealings. He's got a clean mouth and speaks the truth. And he's not a hypocrite. One way at church and another way at home. He's got a good reputation at work. And remember years ago when um, I was in this process of coming on staff, um, the assistant pastor at that time, Mike Wilson, Pastor Steve sent him down to where I worked. I was managing the uh, food for less at Rosecrans in the 405 there. And then all of a sudden, Pastor Mike just shows up kind of out of the blue. Hey, what's, what's going on? What you doing? He goes, I'm kind of coming down to check things out a little bit here. And he began to talk to people that were working there, just kind of, hey, how you doing? Hey, hey. How you like working here? And, and really kind of like, how, how do you like, you know, 
he was really seriously questioning and trying out. He, he actually walked the store with me and checked things out and saw how he interacted with people and everything. I was kind of like, you know, <laughs> over there at Jeff Lee, It's like the DM was walking with me. Man, it's like, jeez, it was crazy. But I passed. So I was okay there. Now, this blamelessness speaks of the inner man and the outer man. The inner man is, is so important, guys, because the inner man will manifest himself in the outer man. See, what's in the heart is coming out the mouth. You, you can't help it. You can't help it, especially when there's pressure on and things are intense. Now, we all got wicked hearts. We all got heart problems. We all got heart trouble. But, man, how is that doing? How is that doing? A bad tree will not produce good fruit. So the best way to describe this blameless man, though, is a man who walks in the Spirit. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Now, this is a passage of Scripture here. And I've said it before, chapter 5, verse 16 on down to 24, 23, whatever. Um, this, this list of things, uh, the works of the flesh, guys, it's still there in our hearts, okay? Because we are sinners by nature. We are born in sin. Now, Yes, we're saved. Yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we're cleansed. But because of that sin nature, that, this stuff isn't going to be gone until this guy is gone. And when this, this tent is put in the ground, I'm not going in the ground, by the way. When this tent is, is cremated, I'm telling you right now, I'm t- holding my wife accountable. I'm not going in the ground. I got claustrophobia, so ain't no way I'm going in no, ain't going in no coffin, dudes. I'm telling you right now. Anyhow, that, that stuff is there. But the man who walks in the spirit is, is the man who actually knows that, that he has been crucified and he crucifies his flesh daily to keep it in the coffin, so to speak. And so for I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Well, no, that's the war. And those are contrary one to another so that you do not do the things that you wish. And Paul, of course, in Romans says, that which I want to do, I don't, and that which I don't want to do, I do. Anybody ever struggle with that? It's like, man, Lord, I'd be glad when this body's gone. It's a pain. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If you're walking in the Spirit, the law's got no pull on you because you're fulfilling the law in walking in the Spirit. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. This, these are the things that are not blameless, obviously, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. How am I doing so far? How are you doing so far? Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness. Remember, this doesn't have to be outward because the Pharisees did a good job outward, but how were the inward? Right there. Bad to the bone, as, as Thurgood said. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which I tell you before, and just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But here is the blameless man. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and a huge one. Huge one. Say it with me. Self-control. 
Oh, control yourself, Rob. I can't, Lord. I need your Holy Spirit. Okay, Holy Spirit, control me. The only way that works is when I surrender and I humble myself and I say, that's it. I throw the white flag up. And the Holy Spirit goes, good, finally. Now step aside. Let me take care of this for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Self-control against such things, there is no law. Back to our passage of Scripture. That's describing the blameless man. But we'll look at even more of that next week when we jump into the, the next passage. So, he's a blameless man. Now the elder is a one-woman man. Now what in the world does he mean by that? The husband of one wife. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. The husband of one wife, the idea is that the leader has his focus upon one woman. And that, in this case, being his wife. Now, right up front, to be an elder, you don't have to be married to be an elder. Why do we know that? Was Jesus married? Was Paul married? Okay, just making that clear. So, single guys, you're not off the hook here. Because really, when we look at this, the, the husband of one wife, the, the one man wife focus speaks of fidelity and righteousness. Okay? He's not an adulterer. He's not a fornicator. Not even in his thoughts. All right? Pretty easy for the most part on the outside. But God knows our thoughts. And of course, Jesus just pulled the covers on everybody when he said, if you even think it. If you even think it. Okay? You know where I'm going with this. So modern-day vernacular applies to all men, you guys. He's not a playboy or a womanizer. He is not given to pornography. Huge, huge problem, guys. He's not a rubbernecker. His eyes and his thoughts are not on every woman that he encounters. And the question is right here, okay? Would the women you know or maybe even work with would they be able to say this about you? Yet you're a one-woman man. If, if we were to give him that description and say, hey, you know, here's, here's a description. Is so-and-so, is, is, is that him? Because see, the thing is, a lot of times, the women know it, guys. You know, you're addressing them when you're talking to them. Your, your mind is going all different kinds of places. And guys, you know this. Not only do the women know this that you're talking to, but your wife knows it as she's watching you talk to these other women. Would they say this about you, that you're a one-woman man? <laughs> yeah, he's right, huh? <laughs> the elder is a one-woman man. And number three, the elder is a leading man, a leading man, having faithful children. The leader must have raised his children well. His ability to lead the family of God must be first demonstrated by his ability to lead his family. Crazy. Paul didn't want men whose children acted like the Cretans. He, he didn't want the leaders of the church, the elders, to be people coming to the church and going, Hey, I know you, man. Your kids are like, they're the hellions in the, in the neighborhood. They're, they just beat my kid up and they stole my stuff. And they, I, we see them. I mean, that was what Paul was talking about here. Okay. They had kids that were out of control, though. 
They needed to focus on the family. That's what he's saying. It speaks of those who Titus was going to choose for leaders. Okay, make sure that they have faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, wild behavior, loud and riotous and, and crazy men. If that was the case, what God would want and what Paul would want would be, you know what? Go take care of your family first. Work on your family. Family is way more important than the position. But a lot of times, guys jump into the church, their family's falling apart. Eh, that's their problem. And they're in the church and, then, and all the kids run off. Now, this is a tough one, though, guys. This is a tough one. Because honest before God, if we were to follow this verse to the letter, half the pastors on staff right now would be disqualified. Now, how do I know that? Because I'm a pastor on staff. I'd be one of those ones. Now, when I raised, when I became a Christian, of course, my kids were young and all the kids in the house were all Christians coming to church and everything. But as time goes by and as they grow old, they make their own choices. So some of the best pastors have some of the worst kids. You heard this testimony of Ryan Reese. Anybody you know, you know who Ryan Reese is, Raul Reese's son? Woo! Yeah, I talked with Raul, and Raul would tell me that, that him and Sharon, they would go out at night driving through the city trying to find Ryan. I mean, he was lost. He was deep in debauchery. And, of course, if you hear his testimony, he'll tell you, no big deal. It's right up front. But he was lost. He was big-time lost. Billy Graham's own son, Franklin, he wrote that book, Rebel with a Cause. Talks about his life here raised in the world-famous household of Billy Graham the Evangelist, and yet he was wayward. Now, of course, he came back. And Don McClure. You guys remember Don McClure, right, Pastor Don, most of you? Man, he told me there was a time he actually went to his board and told them that he, he was resigning because his kid... His one kid, Marcus, was so out of control. Don told me that, that there was a time that, that, and his kid, his son, would come into the church. He would sit in the back of the church. Don be up there preaching, and his son be flipping him off in the back there. Yeah. And Don said one time, he finally had enough, said, hold on, puts the Bible down, and goes to the back of the church, gets in a fist fight with his son right there in church. <laughs> Holy smoke. So Don, of course, seeking, you know, he's right there. I, I'm out. I'm out. He's done. And, of course, his board calmed him down and said, man, you know, that ain't going to happen. And then you think some of the examples in the Bible, and I'm saying all this, guys, to encourage you, okay? Because some of you have great kids. Some of you have some kids that are great and some that aren't so great. And some of you have horrible kids. And yet, I'm just telling the truth here, you know? I want you to know that this does not disqualify you from being involved in leadership. I mean, think about it. You ever hear of Moses' sons? I know he had sons, Gershom and Eliezer, but you don't hear much about that. How about Aaron's two sons who got smoked by God? Oops. How about, how about uh, the, the priest Eli who was killed by God because he wouldn't deal with his own sons who were horribly wicked? When you read what these guys were doing, oh my gosh. Samuel's sons were rejected by the people because they didn't even know the God of his father, their father. David's own son tried to kill him. We know that story. And you look at that. Most of the good kings 
had sons who became bad kings. Terrible witness there, huh? And then, of course, New Testament, think about, you ever hear about Peter's kids? No, you hear about Paul's kids? I believe that Peter must have had kids. Maybe Paul, you don't know, but you don't hear anything about them. And the gospel writers, hear about any of their kids? Not much, huh? Although Philip is the only one that's mentioned, and he's mentioned, his daughters are mentioned. He had four virgin daughters who were prophets, prophetesses. So that was a good testimony there. Now, it's not an excuse, of course, to look the other way. But the point is, guys, that some of the great pastors start out with great kids, believing kids, then the kids turns away. And we have never not picked someone to be a pastor or a leader based upon their kids being out of control. Now, we would counsel, we would talk with them, we'd say, wait a minute, you know, you need to go do a little work in there because really, ultimately, it depends on the heart, guys. Where is the man's heart? Where is your heart in all this? Because if a man is trying to lead his kids, if he's not going to allow open, blatant sin in his house, if, if that's the case, he, he takes a stand and he tells his kids, look, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. If you don't want to abide by these rules, it's my way or the highway. I had to ask two of my sons to exit the abode because they didn't want to walk with the Lord. And that's just the way it was. Now, the emphasis is on if. If a man points his kids to Christ, regardless of the decision they make, and as a leader, you set the example. That's the most important part. You setting the example. So we see this as really a way for us to, again, be encouraged. Because I don't know if there'd be a show of hands if all of us raised our hand. How many out there have all your kids are walking with Jesus and they're serving the Lord and they're just right on with the Lord? You know, I don't think there'd be a hand in the room. Maybe. If I look around, I think about the people that I know with the kids, guarantee you on the pastoral staff, the only ones that their kids are walking with the Lord and, and everything's fine are the ones that have the young kids. <laughs> I'm just saying. The rest of them, at least, there's at least one of their kids that are a little bit wayward. So application factor tonight, as we try and wrap this thing up, this thing up what needs to be set in order in your life, guys? What things are out of whack or broken? Your walk, your home, your devotion, life, your reading of the word. And in these, these application questions, guys, let the Lord speak to your heart. Let him speak to your heart. I, I, I ponder, I think about the study, and I think about, let's, let's, let's bring it down to where we're really examining our own hearts. Secondly, if you were choosing men for leadership, would you choose you? If yes, Why? If not, why? These are things for you to take and sit before the Lord. And you think about it. There were men in the Bible who were blameless. Word of God says that. Noah, he was blameless in his generation. Job, this was spoken of by God to the devil about Job. Look at my servant Job, a blameless man. Woo! Now, if God was to speak of you or me to the people, would he be able to use the word blameless in his speech. Would he or could he? The one who knows our thoughts and intents of our hearts. 
And of course, going back to what I said, there's no condemnation, guys. Just self-examination in this whole thing that we're looking at as these qualifications. Because we are already blameless in God's eyes. You guys know Colossians 1.22? Anybody know that? And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, the blood, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Guys, you're holy. You're blameless. You're above reproach because of the blood of Jesus. And when we die and we go to heaven and we come to the pearly gate, so to speak, we're going in for only one reason. Because when God looks upon you and me, he looks and he sees the blood of his son. Come on in. Even in our wretched, sinful state, that's how God sees us. So there's no condemnation, guys, because positionally, praise God, we are blameless. Our position in Christ has caused us to be blameless. Practically, though, we need to work on the practical. This has to be a desire of our hearts, guys. And whether you desire to be in leadership or not, guys, remember that you are the elder at your house. You are the pastor in your workplace, and the challenges before us, are you willing to make the self-examination, guys? Are you willing to let God make the changes? See, as we go through this passage of Scripture next week, as we're talking about these things, man, we need to ask the Lord, show us. Show us, show us. Because Paul told Timothy that those who desire the position or the place of an elder, bishop, whatever, he desires a good work. There's nothing wrong with, you know what, yes, I, I want to be a leader in the church. I want to be used by God. Long as the motives are right and not as, not, as long as you're not looking for a position that you can boast in and walk around and get that badge that says elder. Have you noticed we don't have elder badges? We, don't have, we have badges that let people know people's names for ushering, but we don't, even, we don't walk around with pastor badge on. Although that wouldn't be a bad idea because a lot of people are like, anybody know, are there any pastors around here? Because they don't really know. <laughs> I mean, they see Jeff. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But anyhow, is that your desire, guys? And regardless, man, like I said, at work tomorrow, at home tonight, you are the elder. You are the pastor of the place that you live and work and, and have your life because you name the name of Christ. And so next week, guys, we're going to talk about the challenge. We're going to go through verse 7 through 9. We're going to flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at that whole entire list of qualifications. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. That's what God is looking for. He knows that we will never attain to perfection. But man, do you want that? And that's the cool thing about it. When you desire that, when you start, you know what? I mean, I blew it today. Tomorrow's a brand new day. His mercies are new every morning. That's what God wants. And if that desire's in your heart, then God's going to meet you, and he's going to strengthen you, and he's going to change your life. He's going he's to help. Look at me. There's, there's guys in this room here that got some issues. You know it. God knows it. You got some things going on. You got, you got some things that need to be set in order in your own personal life, inwardly, in your family life, with the way you treat your wife, your kids, how you conduct yourself at workplace. Because some of you, I'm sure that if, if the people at work knew that you were a Christian, it'd be like, 
Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> you could have fooled me, brother. That's not a good thing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, just thank you for your word and thank you for these guys. Lord, I pray as they go to their groups and talk and discuss, and even tonight, Lord, as they sit before you, Lord, we are so thankful that you are mindful that we are but dust. And that, Lord, that you have separated our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. You have covered us in in your blood. And, Lord, none of this has to do with our salvation. We are safe by your grace in you. But, Lord, we desire to be honoring and pleasing to you. We desire, Lord, to be witnesses that truly reflect the, the person of Jesus Christ. So, God, would you strengthen us all? Would you speak and minister to those areas that need fixing? And would you fix us, Lord? Would we allow your Holy Spirit to come and, and just clean house, clean us up, do those things in our hearts and our lives that you know that are needed. And the Lord, give us a greater desire for holiness, for righteousness, for truth, for justice, for purity, Lord. That, God, that, that there would be none who could come and bring an accusation against us, Lord. So bless them in the groups. Bless us that we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Anybody that's new here tonight, come on front.